Hello, you've reached the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We're beginning a new Sunday morning series at church entitled The Life of Joseph. The title of the message this morning is Nobody Asked Me. Please enjoy. All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter number 50. Genesis chapter number 50. And uh, we're going to begin a new series this morning. I'll tell you about it in just a minute. Genesis chapter number 50. And uh, the last chapter in the book of Genesis. If you have your places in Genesis chapter 50, I'm going to ask you one last time to please stand in respect and reverence to the word of God as we read one verse. The verse we're going to read in Genesis chapter 50 is verse number 20. So near the end of the chapter. And the Bible says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. The title of the message this morning is Nobody Asked Me. Nobody Asked Me. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us, and I pray that you'd be with our our new series this morning, be with our message today. May we glean from the Word of God the truths that you would have us know. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. When I was a kid, it would be on a Sunday afternoon. My mom ran a dress shop. And it'd be on a Sunday afternoon, and um, we, the, we would be getting in the car, and they would never tell me this before we got in the car. But we would go and get in the car, and we'd start driving, and then I'd look around and notice we're not going to Papa's house. We're not going to Grandma and Grandpa's house. Where exactly are we going? And then finally I'd get up the courage to ask, where are we going? And my mom would say, we're going to Thermos. Oh, and just the dread that washed over me because what was in Thermos, Mississippi was a dress supplier and mom would go out there to buy stuff for her shop and it seemed like it takes 16 hours to drive out there and it's all back roads and I just dreaded and I would start crying and whining and there was a reason why they didn't tell me where we were going before we got in the car and you know I was and I was like how come nobody told me nobody told me nobody asked me if it was okay now, and I remember one time we did go out there. My dad bought me a Rambo knife, and I thought that was cool. It was hollow, and, you know, it had the compass on the end, and it had the, uh, you know, the matches and, the, you know, and, 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 and the, you know, where you could stitch up a wound, you know, for when I was in Nam, and, you know, I could stitch up a wound, and, you know, so I had the Rambo knife, so that was a pretty cool day. But, you know, uh, other than that, man, going to Thermos was just an awful awful experience and the one thing that they did not do when we went to thermos mississippi to look at dresses for mom's store was ask me nobody asked me they just said load up and let's go 
And that's the way it is when you're the kid sometimes. Nobody consults you. Nobody asks you. You just got to grin and bear it. Okay? So what we face in life is out of our control. It's out of our control. Who we face it with is not sometimes. Sometimes it's not. Other times, even the people that you face life with is out of your control. Now, let's talk about the Bible for a second. Obviously, this is God's word. He owns it. It's his. What he decides to emphasize in his word is up to him. He can emphasize whatever he wants to emphasize, and he can sweep under the rug whatever he wants to sweep under the rug. I mean, you take a guy named Barzillai on the back side of the wilderness. You take this guy, and God wants to emphasize what he does. He goes to David, and the, the Bible says that he brought beds and basins and lentils and raiment and this and that and this and that. So what this guy brought to David, man, God wanted to emphasize. God, it's his word. He can emphasize whatever he wants to emphasize. Let me give you an example. You think about how vast and how great the universe is. Man, you look out through the telescope and you look out through the Hubble telescope and you see galaxies and you see nebula and you see supernova and you see quasars and supermassive black holes and fast radio bursts. And man, the, just the galaxy and the universe is just full of all this wondrous things. And you know what God says about it in the book of Genesis? And he made the stars also. That's it. All the stuff going on out there in the universe and all the, all the supernovae explosions and all the big stars out there and all the stuff going on, supermassive black holes, quasars, and God made the stars also. That's all it gets. That's all the universe gets. Yet at the same time, a quarter of the book of Genesis is dedicated to a man who's not even in the line of Christ. And it's this guy named Joseph. Now, although Joseph may not be in the line of Christ, that's okay, because he, he himself, his life is a beautiful, wonderful, miraculous picture of Christ. And that's what Joseph's life is. And this will be the subject of our new Sunday morning series, The Life of Joseph. And this is what we're going to be going through for the next few weeks. Now, as we study Joseph's life, a truth will become abundantly clear to us. And the truth that's going to, be, that's going to become abundantly clear, which is going to run throughout the life of Joseph, is this fact. It stands out above all else is that God orchestrates. God orchestrated his circumstances. God orchestrated the people in his life. God orchestrated the events in his life. And everything that happened to Joseph happened for a reason. It happened for a purpose. And it happened with God's will in mind. That was the reason why all this stuff happened. Now, from a worldly view, if you look at Joseph's life, it is an absolute mess. But from a godly view, Joseph's life 
It was absolutely perfect. It was just, it went just how God wanted it to go. Joseph's life is perfect when you look at it through a godly point of view. Now today, we're going to look in, we're going to look into the family that Joseph was born into. That's going to be our focus of today's message. You can pick your friends, but you cannot pick your family. No, you can't do that. Uh-uh. That's picking for you, hoss. Okay? You, you can't you pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Who you got is who you got. Okay? It certainly becomes obvious through Joseph's life that nobody asked him. Nobody consulted him. Nobody asked Joseph what he thought. He was just a kid along for the ride. No, Joseph's life was defined by four groups of people, four groups of relationships. And I have these, uh, these four relationships here. First, we have paternal relationships. Then we have Potiphar relationships. We have prisoner relationships. And we have Pharaoh relationships. And these are the relationships that are going to define Joseph's life. But let's talk about Joseph's family for a minute. You could call Joseph's family a functioning, yet at the same time, very dysfunctional family. Okay? Every family's got some dysfunction in it somewhere. Amen. Okay? I love my family, by the way. Hey, y'all. I love you. But, you know, every family has some dysfunction in it somewhere. So let's talk number one. Let, let's, let's dig into this, and let's dig into Joseph's parents. Joseph's parents. These are not... Your first choice. These aren't your first choice. Genesis 37, 2. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph. So, so Joseph's daddy was a guy named Jacob. Now Jacob's name means supplanter. It literally means he's going to trip you up. It literally means that he is a trickster. Man, he was given that name because he came out holding on to Esau's heel. But man, did he ever live up to that name? He was a trickster. He, he, he would trip people up. He lived up to his name. Man, he tricked everybody. He tricked his brother out of his birthright. He tricked his blind daddy on his deathbed. Man, this guy wasn't the best guy, you know. This guy wasn't always the best guy. But, you know, Jacob did eventually turn his life around. Jacob, even though he was a trickster and he liked to trick people and deceive people, eventually he did meet God at a place called Bethel. He met God at a place which means the house of God. But let me tell you something. For years, jo uh, Jacob lived a carnal, worldly life. But the Bible says something happened when Joseph was born. Daddy? Did your life change a little bit when your boy was born? Did it change just a little bit? Or your daughter, or, you know, not everybody has a boy, sorry. Um, but but did, uh, did, did, uh, did your life change when your child was born? Did something happen inside of you? Something happened to Jacob. 
Man, when Joseph was born, man, he had had other kids, but you know he loved Rachel. And when Joseph was born, something happened inside of Jacob, and Jacob was like, this isn't right. I've got to fix my life. I've got to get out of this situation that I'm in. I've got to get back to the land that God has promised us. I've got to get back to do what I'm supposed to do and be where I'm supposed to be. We see that in Genesis 30, 25. And it came to pass when Rachel had borne Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, send me away that I may go into mine own place and to mine own country. Man, so Jacob, he started out as a trickster. He started out as a deceiver. And we'll see that Jacob did some pretty rough stuff. But man, when Joseph was born, it's like something clicked inside of his head and said, I got to get out of this situation that I'm in and I've got to start living right. I'm tired of living for the world. So that is Joseph's daddy. Somebody who was living rough and living wild, but right near the end was like, you know what, I got to stop this and I got to start going back to church. That was Joseph's story of Joseph's daddy. Let's talk about Joseph's mama. Her name was Rachel. She was favored in a home with many wives. Jacob was also married to her sister Leah. Jacob tolerated Leah. And the only reason why Jacob tolerated her is because she could give him children. That was the only reason why he even put up with Leah. But you know what? This was in this home. Jacob absolutely adored Rachel. But here's the thing. Everybody else knew that too. That wasn't a secret. That wasn't a secret in this household. And Rachel, guess what? She wasn't perfect either. You know what she wanted from her husband? She wanted that attention. She wanted that recognition. She wanted that favor. Even though Rachel already had the most favor of all the wives, it wasn't enough for Rachel. And she wanted more. She wanted more. Even though Leah just had a little bit of favor, that little bit for Leah was too much for Rachel. So Rachel said, I don't know what Jacob was thinking, marrying two sisters, okay? But what, 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 what Rachel said, you know what? I'm going to give my husband my handmaid, Bilhah. I'm going to give her to my husband to have him more children, and then he'll love me more. And so then Jacob started spending a little bit more time over here on Rachel's side of the camp. Well, then Leah got jealous. So what is that Rachel trying to do? Take him away from us? She already had all the favor. Now she just got to have it all. She just got to take it all away from me. I know what I'll do. I'll give Jacob my handmaid, Zilpah. And man, and so then Jacob started spending a little bit more time on this side of the camp. And we're going back and forth and, and, and back and forth. And the Bible says in Genesis 35, 23 through 26, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him in uh, Padanaram. Uh, so this is 
starting to look less and less like a family and more and more like an episode of the Jerry Springer show. Okay? This is, there's so much drama, and I hate drama. Oh, I hate drama. I do, I hate drama. But you man, think about what this, what's going on in this family. We've got deception. We've got back alley deals. We've got adultery. We've got fighting for attention. And all this time, you know what never happened? Nobody asked Joseph what he thought. Nobody ever consulted Joseph. Nobody ever went to Joseph and said, Joseph, what do you think about this situation? Joseph, what do you think we should do about this? Do you think my, Rachel didn't go to Joseph and say, Joseph, should I do this? And Leah didn't go to Joseph and say, Joseph, is, do you think this is the right thing to do? And Daddy never went to Joseph and sat down with Joseph over a cup of coffee and said, Joseph, here's my options. What do you think should happen? Nobody ever asked Joseph. Nobody ever consulted Joseph. Joseph was just along for the ride. Do you ever feel that way? Like you have no control over anything and you're just along for the ride. That's how Joseph felt. His whole life, that is how Joseph felt. Let's talk about Joseph's siblings. To, to begin, understand that Joseph had 10 brothers who hated him. They absolutely hated him. Why? Because Joseph was favored above everybody else. He was the favorite. Whose fault was that? Who, who, it was daddy's fault. Was it Joseph's fault? No, it wasn't. He didn't do anything wrong. Okay? It wasn't his fault. It was daddy's fault. Joseph was the son of the favored wife. And this was no secret. All the other kids knew it. All the other handmaids. All the other wives. They all knew that this, that Jacob was the favorite. That Joseph was the favorite. Here's, here's what Jacob would do. Jacob would take Leah and her kids. Put them at the front of the caravan. And then he would hang back where if something happened, the trouble would happen up there and he could get away. What a charmer, huh? And so then, what, you know what else he'd do? So while Leah and her kids are at the front of the caravan, Rachel and her kids were at the back so he could protect them. And all the other kids saw it. And all the other servants saw it. And all the other wives know it. You know, you know how a kid knows there's stability in the home? When the kid sees daddy loving and protecting mom, the kids see that. And the kids recognize that. And that puts stability inside of the home. And how does the dad do this with the mom? He does this with his attention. He gives her her attention. He gives her his time. He gives her his words and love. He gives her her favor. Okay, he shows that, that he is pleased with her and what she is and what she does. That was missing in this family. This was not a stable family because Jacob 
was unfairly divvying out his love. Man, how could you say that you love one kid more than you love another kid? Could you imagine that? Could you do that with your kids? I mean, I could with mine, but no. Um, could you do that with your children? See, that was missing in this family. And that's why it was like an episode of Dallas, just so much drama, okay? We don't even know who shot JR. We're, we're busy looking at this, okay? So first, let's talk about Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob, born to, to Leah. And man, when, 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 when Reuben came out and, and Leah saw that it was a boy, Man, she flipped out for joy. She said, look, I've, I've gotten a son. Look, a son. Certainly Jacob wanted a son. When we first were pregnant with, with, this, with this one, at first I was like, it doesn't matter what we have. It's okay. No, I, I'll be honestly, at first I said I wanted a boy. I want a boy. I was not shy about it. I was outspoken about it. I was like, I want a boy. And we found out he was a boy. Woohoo! Yes! Ursh. Now, the second time she got pregnant, on the outside, I was like, it doesn't matter. As long as the baby's healthy, that's all that matters. But on the inside, I was like, And then we found out it was a boy. And on the outside, I was, well, that's wonderful. You know what didn't matter to me, boy or girl? But on the inside, I was like, boy, yes. Okay? And that's how I was like, man, I was glad I had a boy. Man, the firstborn son, man, that's a wonderful thing. Especially in a patriarchal family. Did you know what the firstborn son is? And these families, the firstborn son was the family priest. The family priest was the firstborn son. And you know what else the firstborn son got? The firstborn son got a double portion of the inheritance. He would get twice what everybody else got when daddy died. He got a double, import, uh, a double portion of the inheritance. But you know what? Just as Reuben's uncle Esau squandered away his birthright, Reuben, he would do the same. Reuben would do the same. All sin is condemned in the Bible. But there are some sins that have extra consequences attached to it. That's just, that's just the way it is. You know what one of those sins are? It's the sin of adultery. Adultery God will forgive the sin of adultery. But there are extra consequences attached to this sin. And you cannot pretend that there is no consequence, that there's an absence of consequence because there are consequences and the consequences of adultery are significant. Take David. Take look at what happened to David and his sin with Bathsheba. First we see his child die. His son Amnon, Amnon committed incest, was murdered by Absalom. Absalom rebelled and drove David from Jerusalem, attempted to kill him. Absalom committed adultery with David's wives on top of the castle, shamelessly, openly, publicly, the same place where he saw Bathsheba at. 
uh, Absalom was killed. And when Absalom was killed, a part of David died with him. On top of that, he had another son named Ad Adonijah that rebelled against him. His longtime general Joab rebelled against him. Yes, adultery is consequential. Genesis 35, verses 19 through 22. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ethrath, which is in Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Now we got more drama here. Rachel has died, and of course, this, is, this broke Jacob. Rachel was his heart. He loved her. He worked so many years just to marry her. And then she dies. And when this happens, his oldest son, Reuben, goes to Bilhah and lies with her. Now, this is a time when Jacob probably would have went to Bilhah for comfort. But Reuben went to her first. Now, I want you to notice something in Scripture. It, the Bible doesn't say that Jacob heard it. The Bible says that Israel heard it. This was a sin, not against Jacob. This is a sin against Israel, the one who was the prince with God and the one who had the power with God. So what happens here is Reuben does this thing. We have a few lines in Scripture about it, and then it's not mentioned anymore. And maybe up to this point, Reuben's like, man, nobody's talking about it. I guess I got away with it because uh, after a while in Scripture, it's not mentioned anymore. It gets a few lines of dialogue and then it's swept under the rug. We all have those things that happen in our family that we try to keep quiet and we try to sweep under the rug and make sure not a lot of people find out. And for a long time, things went on and nobody ever talked about it. And maybe Reuben thought that he had got away with it. And maybe he thought away that, that he got away scot-free. And nobody ever mentioned it. And nobody ever talked about it. Then one day, the axe fell on Reuben. And it fell at the worst possible time. Jacob is lying on his deathbed. The family is called in. And the, the, the dad is about to give out the blessings. Now, of course, as the firstborn son... He gets a double portion. And man, he goes in there ready with his, with his wallet open and his bank account ready to receive the deposit. And he goes in there wanting the blessing. And he goes in there. When Jacob first starts talking, man, things are sounding promising. Genesis 49 uh, verse 1. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. And man, when Reuben heard those words, he was like, here it comes. 
Here comes the blessing. I already know what I'm going to do with that money I'm going to get from this inheritance. I already know what I'm going to buy. I know what businesses I'm going to invest in. I know what I'm going to do with it. However, after this hopeful beginning, Reuben's hidden past come back to bite him. And he was exposed in front of his whole family. It was recorded in Scripture, and he would be exposed for all of eternity for what he did. And Jacob said in verse 4, Unstable is water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, thou defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. Talk about a bubble being burst. And all that stuff that Reuben was supposed to get, goes out the window. But wait a minute, Reuben's the older brother. Man, the younger brother is supposed to look up to the elder. You're supposed to look up to your elder sibling. The elder sibling is supposed to be an example for you to follow. But this whole time, guess what nobody ever did? Nobody ever asked Joseph what he thought. Nobody ever asked him. Let's real quickly talk about the other brothers. Dan is referred to as a serpent in the Bible. That's a wonderful testimony. Naphtali was called a wild deer let loose that can't be controlled. Simeon and Levi were just cruel. They went into a village, killed all the men, took all the women and children into slavery, all because their sister Dinah went out. She went out exploring. She got uh, she got uh, tricked into an immoral relationship. Oh, so let's just go kill all these men and take the women and children hostage and destroy this whole town. They were just cruel guys. Judah was the one who arranged to have Joseph sold into slavery. And later, because Judah had not been honest with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, she deceived him and he treated her like a harlot. And all this time, all this stuff is going on. All this drama is going on with mom and dad. And all this stuff's going on with Reuben. And all this stuff's going on with all his older brothers. And Joseph is sitting in the back of the house. He's sitting in his room, twiddling these thumbs. These decisions are being made for him. And nobody ever asked him what he thought. Nobody ever asked them what direction they should go. Joseph is just along for the ride. Well, then you've got some other relatives. You've got old Uncle Esau. He was carnal. He was worldly. He sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge. Then you got Papa Laban. Oh, Papa Laban, for the most part, he was a scoundrel. He was even more of a trickster than Jacob was. There is nothing that Laban wouldn't do for money and gain. You know what else Laban was? Laban was a committed pagan. Oh, you could almost see, you could almost see Joseph going to Papa Laban's house and look up on the mantle and see a little idol up there. And, J and Joseph would say, Papa Laban, what is that up there on your mantle? And Laban would say, oh, that's my God. He was a committed pagan. And nobody ever asked Joseph anything let me give you my thoughts on this situation here circumstances are God's means of conforming you 
But circumstances are also the devil's means of destroying you. You cannot control your circumstances. All you can control is who you give your circumstances to. That's all you control. You cannot control what happens in your life. You can't. If something's going to happen, it's going to happen whether you want it to or not. Man, I, uh, a, a man that I grew up with, uh, that I grew up with his kids, and he's just, you know, uh, the, uh, his name is Mr. Stanley Easley, and he was at my shop two weeks ago getting an oil change. Three days ago, he died in his sleep. He couldn't control his circumstances. Man, people get sick and people lose jobs and things happen and nobody ever asked you, nobody ever consulted you, never ever, nobody ever came to you and asked you if it was okay. It just happened to you. You couldn't control it. But you can't control who you give your circumstances to. Let me read for you Philippians 1, 12 through 14. Now this is Paul talking. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole uh, pectorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So what's going on with Paul right now? Paul is under house, house arrest. Now, it's not house arrest like me and you know house arrest. It's not house arrest like a little, little thing they put on your ankle that beeps if you go outside too far out into the yard, okay? And it's not one where you get to sit in the AC air-conditioned house and watch Netflix all day, okay? It's not that kind of, of house arrest. Paul is in this house and he is chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Paul has no privacy. Every single word that he utters is monitored by a Roman guard and he has to sit there and any curse or any profane, vain, ugly thing that the, that the Roman guard has to say, Paul just has to take it. He has to tolerate it because there's nothing he can do about it. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he's chained to another person. It is absolutely miserable for Paul. It's miserable for him. And the Roman guard, man, he comes in, he gets chained to him for a couple hours, and then they switch guards, and they just take turns throughout the day switching out the guards. But for Paul, it is a never-ending thing. It is day and night. Man, these are just hard circumstances for Paul. What good could possibly come out of the situation? Was God still in control? How easy would it have been for Paul to take these circumstances and hand them to the devil and say, I give up. I have tried my best. I have done what I can do. I can't do it anymore. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of what's happening to me. It's not fair what happens to me. I do everything right, and then this stuff, kind of stuff happens to me all the time. I am giving up. How easy would it have been for Paul to do that? But that's not what he did. 
He didn't hand those circumstances that he couldn't control over to the devil. He took those circumstances that he couldn't control and he gave them to God. Did you know it was during this time under house arrest that Paul wrote Ephesians? He wrote Philippians and he wrote Colossians. Man, what probably happened, what probably happened is like Paul's so busy. God's like, in order for me to get you to write these books, I'm going to have to chain you down. Okay, otherwise you're just going to be, you're just going to be witnessing to people all the time. But I need you to write these books, Paul, so I'm going to chain you down. It was during this time that even the, the Bible says that even the palace guard noticed that Paul was being treated unfairly. So that meant that now Paul had a testimony with them. And the, the palace guard, he began to witness to the guards. And they began to get converted. And they began to get saved. And then all the Christians around Paul that weren't imprisoned saw what Paul was going through and they became emboldened. And they got strength. And they got courage. And they started witnessing to more people. You see, Christian, it's not your circumstances that are holding you down. It's who you give your circumstances to. It's who you give your circumstances to. The circumstances, they're not going to change. You can't control it. What's going to happen is going to happen, but what matters is who you give your circumstances to. Here's my second thought on this. Trusting God with our circumstances means that there are no yeah buts. Let me explain what a yeah but is. A yeah but is saying, I know God is in control, but... I stand up here as a preacher and I preach at you and I say, God is in control. And you say, yeah, but if he's in control, why did my parents get divorced? God is in control. Yeah, but why did God allow that person to hurt me in my childhood? Why did God allow that person to abuse me? God is in control. Yeah, okay, but why did I lose my job then? God is in control. Yeah, but... Why did my spouse destroy my family? Yeah, but whatever. When you trust God with your circumstances, there are no yeah buts. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Why do I not lean unto my own understanding? Because my understanding is dark my understanding is darkened by sin. My understanding is marred by sin. I can't see what's happening to me. Only God can. We shouldn't trust in our understanding because our understanding is marred by sin. We just should just say, God, you're in control and leave it at that because he has a purpose. Let me give you a third thought this morning. Trusting God with our circumstances removes us from God's throne. Let me say that again. Trusting God with our circumstances removes us from God's throne. Later on in Joseph's story, he said in Genesis 50, 19, he said, am I in the place of God? Joseph said that, am I in the place of God? Joseph knew 
that there were things in his life that he was not consulted on. His family, his circumstances, his injustices, all this was used by God in his life. I want you to turn to Job 40. I want to show you something. I want to show you something in Job 40. So go ahead and turn there. But while you're turning there, let me say this. Joseph didn't have the text, Romans 8, 28, but he had the truth. For, uh, who's, uh, and, but he had the truth of it. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. He, ha- he didn't have the text, but he, have, he had the truth. Us, we've got the text, but a lot of us don't have that truth. That all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. There's a conversation here in Job 40 between, between Job and God. And I want to go through this conversation, okay, because it has to do with what we're talking about. Job 40 in verse number 1, it says, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. What God is, God looked at Job and said, Job, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are telling me God, that I'm wrong for having done something to you. Who do you think you are? Verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yeah, twice, but I will proceed no further. You ever say something to your mama or your daddy and immediately regret it? Just immediately, like you almost wish you could reach out there and grab it and put it back in your mouth, okay? And what's going on here is Job said that, and then God said what he said, and Job was like, I'm sorry, I'm going to shut up now. Continue. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee, declare thou unto me. God says, no, Job. You be a man, and you say that to my face one more time. Be a man, stand up, gird your loins, and say that to this face one more time. Say it, Job. I want to see you be brave. Say it one more time to me. Verse 8. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me, thou that mayest be righteous? God says to Job, are you going to sit there? And you're going to tell me that I'm wrong for being God? That I'm wrong for doing what I want to do with my creation? Are you going to tell me that I'm wrong, that I'm wicked, and you're the one that's righteous? And then let's read verses 9 through 14. Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the the, uh, rage of thy wrath, and behold every one that is proud, and abase him. Look on every one that is proud, and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust thereof, and blind their faces in secret. Then I will confess unto thee, with thine own right hand that can save thee. God looks at, says, he looks at Job and says, Job, when you can do what I can do, 
then you can call the shots. But until then, you sit back and you let God be God. When Job says, this shouldn't be happening to me, he puts himself in the place of God. That's what Joseph meant. When you say the words, this should not be happening to me, you are saying, God, you do not know what you're doing. And you are putting yourself in the place of God. Are you putting yourself in the place of God this morning? If you are continually frustrated with your circumstances, if you're continually referring back to your past, if you're continually focused on what is beyond your control, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in the place of God and you are saying, God, you do not know what you were doing. Job knew when he said that, he knew the instant he said it, he messed up. But God still had, you ever, that's another thing that you, I've noticed this more with my mom. You say something, immediately apologize for it, but it doesn't matter, you still get the lecture. Okay, you're still going to get the lecture, you know, but that's kind of what happened. Let's begin by understanding, let's begin this series by understanding that God is in control. Instead of continually asking, why is this happening to me? Joseph understood an essential truth that God, not Joseph, is in control. Christian, you are not in control of your life. God is in control. Job 23.10, but he knoweth the way that I take and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Joseph had just entered the refiner's fire, but through it all, he would come forth pure as gold. There's an old preacher. He walked around with his big bookmark in his Bible all the time. He kept it in his Bible for years and years. Anytime he would come across somebody that would complain about their circumstances, why is this happening to me? What's going on? I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? The preacher would get his Bible, he'd open up his Bible, and he'd pull out the bookmark. Now the bookmark was, had silk lettering in it. And on one side, the back side of the bookmark, all the silk threads were all tangled and matted up and hanging down. And he would show them the back side of the bookmark and say, can you tell me what that says? And they would look at all the silk threads and all the tangled mess that the bookmark was and they'd say, no, I can't read that. Then he would take the bookmark and he would flip the bookmark around and show them. And on the front side of the bookmark was big, bold letters against a solid background that said, God is love. You see, when your circumstances look tangled and meaningless, it's because you can only see one side of the tapestry. But on the other side... God sees the other side, and while it doesn't make sense to you, it makes sense to him. 
Christians, sometimes in life, you just kind of feel like you're along for the ride. And no matter what you do, you can't change your circumstances. You can't make things any better. And things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. But what you have to realize is you have to stop giving those circumstances to the devil and you have to take those circumstances and give them to God and trust him that he has a plan and he knows what he's doing. You're not God. Let God be God.